Tim, and I'm here today with another great sports thought leader, Bobby Hosea. He is the founder of Train em Up Academy and the father of the safe tackle movement in football. And Bobby, I just want to welcome you. How are you doing today? Uh, Tim, thank you. I'm doing great. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share uh, this uh, very important topic with you. But uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a big proponent of what you've you've been teaching. I have followed you for many years, and uh, I think you're doing God's work. Um, if we're going to save this game, we gotta we gotta we gotta do it at the at the fundamental level. And uh, I think you're you're doing it. But I want to introduce you and and by kind of telling a story of how I first met you, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Very interesting. <laughs> uh, long ago. Many moons ago in another life, I graduated from college, and I was going to become a real estate agent. And while I was waiting for my license, I, uh, which can take a while, doing the tests and all that kind of stuff, uh, I had a buddy whose father owned a sporting good uh, uh, store, but the store also uh, rented equipment to the studios. And so... I was asked if I wanted to go be a football player for some HBO series called First and Ten. And so I thought, wow, that'd be kind of cool, right? And, and I'm sure anybody outside of Los Angeles thinks, well, that's normal. Everybody does that in L.A. And <laughs> it's really not true. Not everybody you meet are stars. You don't run into stars. Uh, it's a big, big city. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, I got to uh, do this thing, and I got to play football kind of, sort of. I got to kind of act football for a while and, and get, got to meet a lot of neat people. And one of the things that my buddy, Steve's his name, and I did one day was we walked up to this fellow uh, who was one of the actors, and he was very, very approachable, you know, very nice, very charismatic, uh, basically our age, and we went up to him, and we, you know, we're still kids, right? At that age, you're what, 21 or something? And we're like, uh, you know how to make make yourself cry? Uh, are you one of those actors? And so our guest here, Bobby Hosea, was the actor, and Bobby proceeded to start blubbering like a baby before our very eyes within a, about a 30 second time span. And we sat there uh, like Garth uh, in the movie. Uh, and we went, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> it was amazing. And to this day, I remember that I jumped forward about 30 years and a, uh, a hero in Los Angeles, a uh, police officer was uh, slain. And I coached with him back in the day, and uh, turns out our friend, mutual friend Randy Simmons, had uh, had passed away, uh, slain, and it was a huge, huge uh, event in Los Angeles, uh, thousands upon thousands, and and uh, I attended the wake the the night before, and uh, the the other coach that I attended with at, said, hey, you might know this guy, and. I'm like, why would I know some random guy? That's weird that he would know that. And sure enough, I run into Bobby Hosea, who was a mutual friend of Randy. And 
I put two and two together immediately, and in fact, I had met Bobby, uh, and uh, that's how we met in our adult lives, and I found out that I got to know Bobby the coach, not Bobby the actor, and Bobby the coach has a wonderful, wonderful story and how he is changing the game of football. He, uh, anybody who's anybody in football knows this name, but I want to start off uh, at the beginning of your story, Bob. How did you get to UCLA? How, do, how does a kid, you're a local guy, right? Well, but by, my father was in the Air Force, so we traveled all over the country, moving every four years, it seems like, uh, Nebraska, New York, Alabama. He was in Vietnam. We went to live wow. with his parents in Alabama. My daddy went to Vietnam in 68 or something like that. And when he got back, we he got shipped to uh, Northern California. And Wheatland Air Force, um, Beale Air Force Base is what was the name of the base, and in a small town called Wheatland, California. Mm. And that's when I, ninth grade was the first time I actually played football. My mother would never let me play. She always said I was sickly. And because I guess I guess I had some issues uh, as a child and growing up with different types of things wrong with me. But anyway, I was ninth grade. She let me play, and I was dyslexic, and still am to this very day. And I I didn't know what was wrong with me then. I thought I was dumb and stupid, and I couldn't read. And consequently, I would never read out loud in class because I was ashamed. And I yeah. just knew all my t- friends and stuff would start laughing. And so I would get kicked out of class, actually, and get sent to the office because I was being rebellious in the teacher's eyes, you know, being Mr. Tough Guy. And it wasn't it at all. I was just really ashamed. Well, anyway, I got a first down on fourth and one in ninth grade. And I remember that moment like it would just happen when, before I called you. Um, and everything slowed down, Tim. Um, I could see my coaches on the sideline jumping up and down. All my teammates are hitting me on the head, slapping me, telling you know, and every and all of a sudden the world opened up to me, and everything became possible, and I no longer felt dumb and stupid. I felt empowered by that moment of having that little success. And in, in those days, I didn't have any football knowledge whatsoever. I didn't know that that maybe getting that first down allowed us to continue the drive and to run the clock out and we win. I had no idea, right? Didn't know what the ball was. Didn't know nothing about football strategy. Just a kid. And from that moment on, football became the thing I needed to make me feel good about me. And so as a consequence, I got pretty doggone good at it. And then we moved to San Bernardino. My daddy got transferred down to Norton Air Force Base uh, on San Bernardino. It's closed now. And I went to a high school by the name of San Gregorio High School. Oh yeah, and I I excelled there. Uh, they put me my junior year. I stood behind this all everything running back, so I got very little time in my junior year. And then, of course, they all graduated. Then I became like you know one of the studs on the team. One of us, about five of us, that were really good. And I played wide receiver and had a great standout, um, you know, year that year. And I didn't again. I'm dyslexic. I don't do homework. I don't do a lot of studying. Because I think I'm incapable. I think I'm dumb, and I really still think I'm dumb and stupid. But you would never know it, by the way, that you know, you, you talk to me, but I had this really low self-esteem deep inside of me because I had this issue that I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just thought I was stupid. I couldn't read. And 
so I ended up not going to getting a scholarship, uh, even though Stanford wanted me, all these schools wanted me. In fact, Dartmouth was the first letter I ever got. And it was, I was like, Dartmouth, where's that? And they said, man, that's the Ivy League. I said, you mean Harvard and Yale? They go, yeah. I said, oh, no, I'm too dumb and stupid to go to that school. So I tore wow. the letter up and actually tore it up to him and threw it away. That's how, you know, really for real, it's really funny. But anyway, football, uh, so I went to local junior college, uh, Coach Willie Shaw, I'll never forget it, from Stanford. And that's when they had great wide receivers at Stanford. And so he said, Bobby, he said, you can play for any school in this country, but go, go to junior college and get your grades up. He says, and then you'll, you'll be able to pick any school in, in the nation because you have that kind of talent, except Stanford, because we don't take junior college transfers. And man, my heart sunk. So I went to San Bernardino Valley College, and I've always been very physical and intense guy. And so the, the head coach said, Bobby, you have a better temperament for defense been playing wide receiver. You're a good wide receiver, but we got this guy that was a, an All-American a year before bouncing back. And so they said, Bobby, go over and play defense because you have a better temperament for that. You're, you're mean. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> so I go and I, and I play defense. And, and, and here's the blessing for me, Tim, is that my dad now had gone to Iran my senior year. So that really hurt me because I didn't have that disciplinarian over me making sure I was doing my homework. Cause my mother was an RN and she worked 11 to seven. So she'd be asleep when, when, uh, when she come home from work, uh, in the morning, we were just getting ready to leave. And then we come home from school. She's taking her nap and then she, she's asleep. And then she goes later, goes to work. So she was never really over me as far as me doing my homework. So I wasn't doing it. And so that's why I had bad grades. But anyway, when I got to junior college, my dad back from Iran, and he retired. And in junior college, anybody can go to junior college. And guess yeah. who was in my class? My dad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my father was in my class. So what did I sit, dude? You know I sat in the front. Was I ever late in class? <laughs> and that hand went up lots. <laughs> all the, yeah, and I sit in the front, and I was never late, and I did all my homework. I wish to God, you know, my father was with me all the way through my college career because I'd have my Ph.D. in probably astronomy <laughs> or something ridiculous, or brain right. surgery, I don't know. But I wish my dad was with me the whole time. But it really got me to studying, and then I, I kind of well, that, that, that's a, I, Just as a side note, that's a, isn't that interesting? You're kind of, I mean, just as a psychological kind of twist, you know, I mean, that motivation – all of a sudden you think you're dumb as a doorknob and, you know, uh, and by the way, to play football, you know, you, you got to have some smarts to play it despite the stereotype. Um, but we don't translate it that all the, all the time that way. And so you're not translating it to the classroom, but all of a sudden pop shows up and now all of a sudden you got smart. How's that happen? Right. Well, it was just, all it was doing was just applying your work ethic. If you sit yeah. down and you study, take the time, and I'm intelligent. I found out, you know, I'll tell you yep. as we move forward here, I'll tell you something about when I got to UCLA. Uh, I just started studying because I didn't want to hear from my dad, you know, and, and then I was turning in my work, and I was doing my work, and they didn't require you to read out loud in junior college, so I never had to read the next <laughs> paragraph, you know, yeah. as we go around the room. So I never had that issue. So, I, man, my grades went up and everything, and, I, you know, and I had good grades. And next thing you know, I'm getting all these offers. Cal wanted me real bad, but I wanted my father, because he missed my senior year of high school, I wanted him to see me play. So I chose UCLA um, wow. over everybody else. Yeah. yeah. 
because I, I want my dad to see me play. Um, and that's why I went to UCLA, a great school and everything. But, and I, and Polly Pavilion was great to go when I went on my trip and I was watching yeah, the Bruins basketball team that kind of did it. Um, because <laughs> yeah, it was my favorite, it. yeah, it was my favorite sports team actually growing up. Them and Notre Dame was my favorite football team. And because that, everywhere we moved, we'd always hear Notre Dame no matter where we lived. So that was the one thing you hear on the radio was Notre Dame football. And so I went to UCLA. Well, let me yeah, ask you this, because, because you, uh, I, I had this set for a, a question later on, but I think right now is uh, a more apropos time to ask it. And, you know, why is football important? Football is important because it challenges you like no other sport. And what I, what I tell the kids and tell anybody that I coach is it's a bone on bone. That means you're going to have opposition with another human being and you have to take them on and you're going to, sometimes you're going to get put on your back, but you got to get back up and you got to take on that same person the next snap. And so it it teaches you resolve. It teaches you want to have to go and do, uh, which it translates into your real life, into the rest of your life. So football is very important in that it teaches you selflessness, discipline, accountability, respect for others. And it, it really is a uniter no matter what neighborhood you come from. Football players come from all neighborhoods, so maybe you've never been around a Hispanic person, never you've been around a black person or a white p- person. Yes. But now that you're playing football, now you yep. have Asian teammates that you've never, you don't know any Asian people, the ones you saw were on the Kung Fu movies right you don't really the know only them. color that matters is the one on your jersey at that point right that's right your jersey your 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 color scheme of your of your team black and and gold or whatever the color may be uh blue and gold at ucla cardinal and gold at UC, at sc the colors you know that's what really matters and then it's a teamwork so it, it really brings you together uh, it's it's football is the best sport in the world as far as i'm concerned for that because like i said it challenges you like no other, and it has nothing to do with your ability. It has everything with, to do with your will and your willingness to work hard and to sacrifice and be accountable, which I said translates to the rest of your life. So for me, that's why football is very important. And so with my own life, I've, I've had so many opportunities, and they all resulted from football. I've been around the world. And I, pretty much, not all, I haven't been to Africa yet, and I haven't been to South America, but I've been to pretty darn yeah. much in, everywhere else. And and it's all because of football. And so yeah. for me, I believe football can inspire everyone that plays it to get the best of them, to, to bring them to be who they're going to be, help them become who they're going to be, their zenith person, who they're going to be so they can be a contributor to our world in, in whatever capacity that may be, you know, whether it's a great neighbor, a great father, a great lieutenant colonel, a president of the United States, whatever, uh, fireman, cop, teacher, just be the best way you can contribute to society to help our world be better. And football really helps that. And that's what it did for me. So that's what, why it means so much to me uh, and why I want to protect the little ones, the least of us, or the least of them, children, uh, from the the bad part of the game that is 
that harms them in a way that debilitates them for the rest of their life or actually takes their life or paralyzes them or damages their brain to the point where they're not going to finish school. They're not going to get a job, you know, these kind of things. And that can be prevented. You don't, not everybody that plays football gets a concussion. But traumatic and, uh, and brain injuries and traumatic neck and spinal cord injuries come from the act of primarily making a tackle. And there are elements in the teaching instruction that are actually dangerous, but no coach is required to know what those are to eliminate them and know how to prevent them by replacing them. And that's where I, I, my quest is now is to make my system the national standard of care to force coaches to learn what they teach, what's dangerous about it, and how to change it and how to fix it. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I, I want to get into that a little bit more, but I do want to ask you, uh, as we're here and, you, you know, we, we talk about why football is important, one of the things that I want to just point out is, uh, you know, a lot of people try to <clears throat> a lot of people try to relate football to the military and you with a military father uh, might appreciate this. But I, I always thought that is uh, I could see the relate the relativity, but I also at the same time in honor of, of our servicemen who actually go out and risk their lives. Let's not let's stop that comparison. Um, but there is a, a a a rapport that happens within football, um, and I, there's no denying that. There, there's uh, I, I've been on the phone with people I've never talked to before in my business, and I know they play football. I just know, I you know, right and then we get to know each other, and sure enough, they played at some college, or at least they played high school somewhere. There, there's a code that runs deep within within all of, of football players because they've all gone through those those aspects that you talked about that that make the difference. <clears throat> and uh, the the thing that that bothers me is when people, our brothers who played football have a hard time translating their success from the field to a life success. You, you said earlier, everything, uh, every success I've had is because of football, right? Yes. And yes. Why there's, there's too many guys I know that, that aren't, that aren't translating that. And I don't want to go into this too deeply because I want to talk about, about your, your stuff, but uh, that is something I, I just knowing you, I know might might bother you also, and it's something that that definitely bothers me. Would you like to comment on that? I mean, have you have, uh, have you noticed it? Um, is is there something that maybe we could do to uh, to 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 make sure that these guys uh, are, are are maybe handled better? I, I don't know. I don't even know the right question. <laughs> well, first, <laughs> let me talk about the military aspect of it first, where. Football has a chain of command, like the military. You have strategy, and that's part of the militaristic, you know, the flank, you know, knowing your side, you know, all those things, that's kind of militaristic, and everybody being on the same page. In fact, I, having been an actor for over almost, almost 40 years now, oh, my God, um, I played a lot of Marines, 
And you always research your character to find out what, you know, you have to know about you so you can walk and, and authentic, be authentic. When you walk, you want to be like whatever you're playing. And so right. when studying, looking up the Marine Corps, I found out that the Marine Corps is actually older than the United States. And without the Marine Corps, there would be not be a United States. The Marines are the first one to hit the beach. So they're but basically Marines are bully hunters. They're looking for trouble. Uh, and so that's a mentality. So they're a can-do, will-do, want-to, going-do mentality with the Marines. And so I have a great admiration for them because I have a couple series, a couple TV shows, and a couple movies that I, I played Marines. And, in fact, uh, when I line my kids up and all my players, whether they're kids or adults, coaches, I give the, we do the mirror drill where I'm out in front of them. They have to mimic everything I do. But I set the mindset. And I say, we are Marines without M16s because we have opponents, not enemies. And our mission is to stop the forward progress of the ball carrier. And our intention is to knock it loose. So we have an attitude, you know. So you get that mentality. But one of the things I want to address real quick, too, as well, when you say military, military is, is about destructing, destroying the enemy to protect our freedom. So there's death and destruction involved in that. Football, people try to say, so it's violent. This is this term. No, it's not violent. Football is physical. Violence is spousal abuse. Violence is abusing an elderly person or a child that cannot defend themselves, physically abusing them. Whereas in football, all the opponents on the field have been equally trained, they're equipped equally, and they have a strategy. Violence doesn't have a timeout. Violence doesn't have a designated time for it to stop. Football does. It has timeouts, it has quarters, it has halftime. So it is a sport that is physical. It's only violent when you use your helmet as a weapon. The rest of it is physical because violence means to kill, to destroy, to injure. That is not the object of football, and it's been misguided because a lot, in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways, one of them is the announcers. They're saying things, just saying it, and then people buy into it because they hear it, but they're misguided. It's not violent. It's physical. Taken on a block. That guy's trying to knock me backwards so they can get outside. I got to take them on. It's going to be a physical confrontation. It's not a violent confrontation. It's physical. He's using technique that he's been taught to block me. I'm using a technique to take him on to maintain, contain, to contain, keep my outside shoulder free, make the back cut back inside, or bounce, right? So that's technique. That's physical. So and so far as guys, you know, the world beats you up. You know, you get out into the real world, you lose a job, you get divorced, uh, someone passes away, you get sick, uh, you lose your home. Uh, think this, it's so much going on to defeat you. If those guys you were kind of talking about that are going through life and then they're not reflecting on their football what they got from it, and apply that. That's what they need to apply. That's when you need to apply those things. 
because one of the, one of our sayings, I got a million. I could, you know, I've been coaching a long time, Tim, since 1984. You throw stuff against the wall to get motivate people, and some of it sticks. So I've I've got some few things that I that stuck that I constantly use, and one of them I say is dirty, sweaty, tired, and sore, and loving it. Okay, what's it gonna take? All I got. What do we need? All I got. What you going to give? All I got. Those are things that you call on in the fourth quarter when you're, you know, they're on the goal line or we're on the goal line. We got to stop them or we got to get in to win. So that's when you got to go down in your gut and pull those things out. Well, when real life beats you up, you kind of lose that perspective because you got the reality of a mortgage that now they're trying to take your house telling you got to move out of it because you haven't paid your house note in several months and you got that reality but if you do go back and you had a great football coach and a great football experience that experience will help you fight through the tough times because we're all going to have them we're going to have them you know yep and, and we got to have a resource. And those that are the, of us that have been blessed enough to play football, uh, uh, whether it was high school, junior college, you know, college or professionally, and go through that, that gives you a certain, mm, the average person doesn't have a resource of, of resilience and, and can do and fight back and get up when you get knocked down that the average person doesn't have. That's and that's one of the reasons. So I guess that's why what you're kind of alluding to. Well, yeah, you're hitting right on it. And and to me, uh, it just seems so a shame because you you have been given a gift. Uh, If you've played the game at at any level, you've been given a gift. And it's like you just said, uh, if you've been, you know, fourth quarter, uh, goal line stand, and it's who wants it more, that that's a gift for life that that that's not a moment in time that moment right. goes and it leaves but but it's it, your your lesson has been etched in Embedded. you and that's if you right. don't use it it's a damn shame it's a real damn yes. shame because uh waste. it's a waste and there's and and really uh you know coaches uh you know you're you're like for you i mean you're not coaching so that just so that you know to keep guys safe right you're keeping them you're coaching so they could be safe and have a life and a yeah, so they can be great in life <laughs> right right but but we always think in in terms of such um, short-term uh plans these days it seems like but i want to i want to jump forward you you after ucla you uh you played in canada Played some uh, in the the, uh, defunct USFL, end up at uh, the LA Express, correct? Yes. And yeah, uh, uh go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I I, out of UCLA was so funny. Um, You know, like what's going on now. You guys are having their pro days and whatnot. You know, it's funny how timing is. And so my senior year, I go up to look at the (laughs) the athletic department, look at who's coming in and. Houston Oilers would be here or the Cowboys or whatever, and they'd have the list of guys that they wanted to see. And my name was never on the list. And I was like, whoa. 
I'm not gonna get a shot chance to play in the NFL because they're not they don't even want to see me in, in these workouts. I'm like, and then um, that was the year they went from 15 rounds to 12 rounds, and or there was maybe 15, 17, something like that, but they went to 12 rounds, and it came out. I saw some um, scouting report on me saying Bobby Jose is guy would get drafted in the 14th round you know I'm like man they're only going to 12 and they're saying I'm the kind of guy to get drafted in the 14th man, I ain't even gonna get a chance so wow so I went, I, yeah man and had I known what I knew now I'd have taken my butt out there and crashed that thing and locked up every receiver that was out there because that's what I could do I lock you up and I was I was a heck of a corner dude, and but you know you when you're young you and, and and still inside I still had this I'm not good enough thing down inside of me, even yeah. though I was two years started at UCLA and you know yep. won several awards while I was there, most inspirational my senior year, and I won the year I, I redshirted, I was a captain of, of of the scout team and and all these things, I still had this thing inside of me. And so I accepted not, that. Not only well. that, if I can interject, because I, yeah. I know that I, I kind of went through the same thing, and, and the adult Tim would behave much differently than the the, the young man Tim at, at 21 or whatever it was, uh, and uh, or tw- whatever, the uh, younger than that, getting recruited yeah. uh, in college. And uh, I recall hearing somebody from USC tell me, that I had uh, slow feet and was short and, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. He had watched some film. And uh, I just took it, right, because mm-hmm. respect authority, respect, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And But the film he watched was of me destroying a center. They had just signed on <laughs> as their wow. uh, one of their recruits. And I thought, wow, I mean, either I get a scholarship or that guy loses his. But uh, anyway, I, so I, I think it's, you know, we're, we're, we're how we're supposed to be. We're uh, respectful, and, and sometimes that works against us, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And so I went to, uh, I went to a tryout at uh, Harbor College, of all places, and it was for the Montreal Alouettes. <clears throat> and there were 300 dudes there. And I just put on a show uh, at corner one-on-one, and I was blowing dudes up. I was running through dudes. I was picking the ball off. Uh, you thought I had on shoulders and helmet and everything, shoulder pads and helmet. But I didn't have on anything. I was just, I just was, uh, you know, I was, I went out there and balled it out. And so out of 300 guys, I was the only person they offered the contract to. And so I accepted it and uh, went to Canada, Montreal, and, and then uh, I got traded to Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and then I was there for two two years in Saskatchewan. And then I, my original three-year contract was coming to an end, and they wanted me to extend. And I said, that's when the USFL was coming about. I said, no, I want to go home. I want to I play in L.A. again. Uh, I thought that, you know, I'd be able to go on auditions and stuff. Because I, I was thinking, like, I would do – it was unheard of, Tim. I was doing – I didn't even know, man. I'm a football player. But I was making 10 national TV commercials in six months of the year. And I'd leave and go play in Canada. And you're still three thousand. You're still playing football. Yeah, and I go play play Canada. Yeah, I was I was I was killing them. I was like making 
incredible amounts of money in acting, but not knowing that I'm an actor, not even thinking like this commercials. Uh, Mark Harmon sent me to his commercial agent to meet him. And I said, I'll be back in a year because I'm a senior and I can't work. And so I went back a year later and they sent me on my first audition and I got it, you know, and I said, okay, I'll do this when I grow up. But anyway, uh, then I went to Canada, you know, played, came back. I do national TV commercials, came back. And this, as I got towards the end of my career at LA Express, somebody's trying to call me. me. <laughs> nope, I can't take this call. Um, so I, I got to get rid of this thing and I'll call you later. Okay, there. All right. So I come back home and, and, I, and I play for the LA Express and I was getting towards the end. I was just beat up, man. I was 28. I was, you know what? I've hurt everything. What's next? My neck, my back. I got to think about doing something else. So I started studying acting, started taking acting classes. I mean, I was killing them in, in, in commercials, but commercials are not really truly acting. It's really being yourself or being in the moment. And I can sell milk. I'm really good at it. And I can sell anything. <laughs> For real, I just smile, I thought, laugh, whatever. I'm, I'm really open because I can take direction because when you play football, that's one of the things you can take direction because you're getting coached. Number one thing in football, you got to be coachable. You, you know, and the way you play is that everything coach talks about in the meeting, you go out and, and duplicate it out on the field, guess who's playing on Saturday? <laughs> right. You are. So I'm able to take directions really well. So that's And also then learning the craft. Acting is a craft. It's just not being yourself because you're not that interesting. Uh, be the character that's on the paper. Bring that person to life. Then that makes you interesting. So uh, then that happened. So I translated, transferred from that. But at the same time, I had a kid, married, and had a son, finally. And at seven years old, he wanted to play football. So I took him to the local park out here in Carriage Crest Park. And because I used to drive by and get on the freeway and go into auditions and stuff, and I see these little kids with flags down to their shoes, and I say, "Oh wow, what if I ever have a son and I didn't want to take him and play football? That'd be so great." And who knew? Seven years later, my little boy would say, "Daddy, I want to play football." I knew exactly where to go. That same little park by the freeway where you get on the freeway. So I that's why I started coaching flag, and we stayed in it for a while, three or four years in that, and then one day magically he said, "Dad, kick." I want to play tackle when you sign me up. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Why did I not get him a, a, a five iron instead of that Raider football when he was four? Right. I said, okay, I'll take you up here and sign you up. And the closest place was the Tri-City Falcon. That was near where we lived. And so I took him up there, and, and the uh, president knew my name. And uh, I said, he says, Bobby Hosea, didn't you just leave UCLA 10 years ago? I said, 20, but thank you very much. You know, time had really gone by. <laughs> <laughs> so – I said, I'd like to help out. He goes, okay, you're the head coach. I said, no, 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 help out me. Look out for him. I can't be the head coach. I got too many things I'm doing. And it, and it ended up the head coach had to quit because of his job. So I ended up taking over reluctantly, but I took over. And and one of the things I tell the kids about courage, I want them to be tough, and I said, hey, guys, I'll go bear hunting with a switch. So I, don't, I ain't scared of nothing. But, of course, you know, I'm going to jump in the truck if I see a bear. I'm out. But, anyway, I tell them that. So they won't be afraid to play football. But what scares me more than anything was to see one of those little guys not be able to get up because of something I told them. And so I was scared to the core of my very being, not just for my only my son, but for the rest of his little teammates because they're just as precious in their mother and father's sight as my son is to me. 
And so I literally prayed. I said, Lord, teach me to teach them, Father, because I don't want to see one that can't get up because of me. And that's when God gave me this vision, dip and rip. Because I call things what they are. If you just dip and rip, you're going to stick that dude when you do it right. And so it's funny because in 1991, when we were playing flag, John and Anthony were my little guards, the little fat little guys with little bellies. And they pulled down the line of scrimmage on a sweep, and they just rubbed their belly on the defensive end, and we'd never get outside. <laughs> and so I said, no, man, you got to dip and explode on this guy. So I went to the hardware store. Builders Emporium back in those days, and I got the PVC pipes, and I made this little hurdle, and I made John and Anthony go under it and come out the other side and keep in their waist at a 45 and dip in the boom. And when they would do that, they would just light the defensive end up. He'd go flying out the way, and Steve would cut up field and be gone, and we'd score touchdowns. Well, once they got the, got the technique down, I forgot all about the pipes and put them away. I don't even know where they are to this very day. But also, and so when Stephen now, you remove it, we go forward to when he's 12. This is when he was seven. Now he's 12, and I forgot all of it. He says, Dad, I don't play tackle football. And then when I said, man, so that's when I went to Bill's Emporium, and I was looking for the pipes they put under the grass for sprinkling. And how I remember that was up in Beverly Hills when you drive around at UCLA, I see these gardeners out there digging these trenches, trenches in all these mansions front yard. A week later, I, I drive by again, and I see sprinklers. I'm like, oh, my God, that's how they put the sprinklers under the ground. Wow. <laughs> that's so funny. That's what came to me, and that's what I went and got. And I didn't even know they, and the guy says, you mean PVC? I followed the guy. I said, where's the pipes you put on the grass for sprinkling? He says, you mean PVC? I said, I guess. He says, in plumbing. I go, oh, here they are. Yeah, good. So I got the pipes. I got the fittings. I got a little saw, and I got the glue. And I went in my garage, and I three hours, and I made the different ripsticks. And then, now, mind you, I'd forgotten all about them before. And so I took this set of different ripsticks to practice. And Deshaun Golson, who's had a great nine-year career, just released by the Washington Redskins after leaving them in tackles, which is ironic, uh, last season, yeah. um, was on the team in 1997. He'll tell you to this very day, we didn't have a football on the field for the first two weeks of practice. All we did was tackle the whole first two weeks. And I wasn't a great offensive coach. But we could out hit anybody we played, and we never got hurt. And so over the years, of course, I followed my son to high school, went with him. And then when he left high school, I just continued to stay there because I was having success. I really enjoyed coaching. And I've now, are, are you coaching. still acting at this point? Yeah, I'm still acting. And that's why I would never accept a head coaching job because I would get a pilot. Like I got 16 pilots in 16 years. Every year I got a pilot. Some of them sold. The great majority of them didn't. One of them sold without me. They replaced my me. Another couple sold where I was, you know, on a star, not a star, but I was one of the actors on this TV series. And so I would never commit to be a head coach to a team and have to leave and go to Toronto for, you know, and do a TV series or go to yeah. Florida and do a TV series because I never wanted to do that. So I'd always just, and it just worked out that I would, it didn't happen to where I'd have to leave. Let me ask you this. This, this is something fascinating. How does a guy – I mean, you're you're tied into football because of your kid, and and you're you, because of who you are. You're doing the right thing. You're using your talents to make the game safer, even back then. But where's the epiphany? Where does Bobby go? Uh, I've got a calling to change the game. How does that happen? Well, in 2006, I just 
I just got tired of acting. I just got, because to me, it's not really doing anything to benefit anyone other than yourself and your, and your immediate family. Yeah, you make money. But really, it doesn't, it's just a lot of adju- false adulation you get from people because they see you on TV and they look at you like you're something special and you're really not. You're just another human being and it's just what you do for a living and happen to be in front of a camera. Yeah. And so I said, man, I just said, I said, I, just, I felt empty, to be honest, and hollow. And I said, Lord, what is it that I do best? And the answer was, in my mind, there was no voice that like, came out of the clouds. It's just the voice that said, communicate with young people. And I said, Lord, what is it that I know best? He's in the voice again said, tackling. And I, and I said, the gift that I gave you. He goes, the gift that I gave you, tackling. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. Nobody knows how to tackle. I'm going to go out and teach everybody how to tackle. So I go online. I'm just that naive, man, really just that simple. And I go online, and I'm looking for tackle equipment, right? Yeah. And I'm looking for sleds. I'm looking for bags. I'm looking for pop-ups. I'm looking for everything. But everything that you know, relates to football started popping up, concussions, paralysis, and death. And all of a sudden, Tim, a fire goes out under me, and I go, oh, my God, i got to go out and tell the world there's a way to do this without these injuries. They're dying and getting injured. For, oh, my God, i got to go share this with the world. So this fire went out under me, and it just so happens I just started doing it, man. And um, Now, I had been doing my camps already, but not because I was still doing them at Narbonne for five years in a row. I would do my camps at Narbonne High School because I coached at Narbonne from 99 until 2006. And I, and I would actually feed the kids. Cause I was doing well acting, right? I was doing TV movies of the week, guest starring on TV shows, getting my own pilots, getting, you know, doing tons of commercials. So I would actually feed the kids chips, sandwich, and a drinky so they'd come back the next week because I was working the heck out of them. <laughs> and it was free, right? It was, I just wanted them to keep coming back because I – but at the same time, I'm honing my craft for another time in the future that I didn't know was coming. Well, you know what's on. interesting, if if I may say, Bob, is uh, you know one of the some of the the stuff that I've put out recently, and, and definitely uh, that I when I counsel uh, coaches or, or staffs is, you know, if if you're just doing this for doing it. And that's where most people are at. You, you see, especially at the youth level, you know, they're helping their kids out and, and whatever. But it's not till you get a higher purpose or, as you would call it, a higher calling that things start moving. And, uh, and, and, and that's what it sounds like to me. You, you, all of a sudden it dawned on you. Man, I gotta shout it from the from the mountaintops because this this is uh, this is real stuff going on, right? Right, right. Because like I said, we're earlier in our conversation, we talked about why did football become important? Because it it can make you become the best you can be in life. Yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're not gonna run a four four. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with that. You can be a round little tubby dude, short and stubby legs, and can't run and can't do can't catch, but that game can make you one day. You'll be the president of the United States that will make this world better. You might be that person that discovers the cure to cancer. You might be that person that, you know, gets Palestine and Israelis together and stops their feud. Who knows who you yeah. are? 
And that's why coaches, it's so important that they understand they got to protect these little people because you don't know that might be Einstein that you're dealing with. The next one is going to come up with something that's going to make us a better world. That's why. You know, years, years ago, a quote, you like to throw quotes out, and so do I. Some of them are my own and, and some I rip off. Uh, one was uh, a favorite of mine is uh, one by uh, at one time was the, the most winning football coach in college was uh, Amos Alonzo Stagg. And then yeah. I think Bear Bryant broke his record. This is going right. back. And, and Stagg was a, uh, for people who don't know who he is, he was an uh, actual hero of, of John Wooden. And Wooden uh, was inspired by a lot of the stuff Stagg did. Well, anyway, uh, after a winning season, uh, Stagg was asked by the press, you know, what do you think about your, your kid's success? And he said, uh, you know, I won't know for another 20 years. There and we go. That that just that resonates with me. Um, I got to tell you, but let, let me jump forward. Let you know, because I and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think where this all just kind of comes to a head and uh, the the issue in football uh, that we're talking about is spinal and, and concussion, and most of the uh, the word, the, the biggest word to most is CTE or concussions when they think about the problem. And, and of course we've talked about this is, it's, it's also spinal injury. Uh, you know, if, if you're tackling, right, you, you're going to get a double bonus. You're going to protect your spine and you're going to attack and you're going to protect your, your, your brain. Um, but it, where it all come to a head, if I believe, uh, was a meeting, at an institution here in Los Angeles called LA84. And uh, LA84, for those that aren't uh, in the know, uh, was a, or is an institution put together from the LA Olympics in 1984. There was so much money left over. It was such a success that the founder, Peter uh, Uberoff, put it into an account and it basically runs off uh, its own interest. And they their whole purpose is to make for positive uh, youth sports in and around Los Angeles. And so they brought in 2012, wasn't it, the, con- the, uh, the big convention? Yeah, that was the big convention. 12, something like that. They, they brought all these doctors and all these experts to, uh, to, their, to their meeting. And one of the guys, uh, it's on YouTube if you look it up, LA84 Concussion. Uh, there's a uh, thought leader in the space called, uh, his name is uh, Dr. Robert Cantu. He's written books, uh, good stuff. Uh, he actually paid props to Bobby in that meeting. And you don't see too many doctors paying props to advocates of playing football. And so I wanted to point that out. And uh, and then also ask, is that really where everything just starts getting big? I mean, is that where the NFL happens? Is that where uh, the documentaries happen, the interviews, or is it about that time? Well, actually, it was before that. Um, like I said, I was doing these little camps at Narbonne for years, five years in a row. I had very little equipment. So what happened was a gentleman goes in by the name of Keith Johnson, who runs an organization called the L.A. Falcons in, yep. in, um, in, in inner city Los Angeles. And he's a, doing a fabulous job. He's just he's way more than just football. He's, uh, he's just turning, saving lives, basically, getting kids 
you know, grades, everything focused on the right parents, families. He turned it into a, a family um, social thing. Okay, it's really fantastic what he's doing. Well, anyway, Keith had brought his son to me years earlier. I don't remember when because when you come to my camp, I shake your hand one time. Hi, Dad or Mom. Come on, son. Right? And I don't know what you do for a living. Don't really care. Just, you know, just get him here on time and you know, pick him up when we're done. And I don't know what parents do. Well, anyway, Keith Johnson ends up being the president of the L.A. Falcons, and he goes in to get funding from L.A. 84 Foundation. And and in, in it, he had a line item in his paperwork for my services. And, and Jalal Hazard, uh, the late Walt Hazard's, um, John Wooden's first All-American, actually, is the person vetting his paperwork. And he reads this. He goes, hey, you can use this money to buy equipment. And Keith's response was, yeah, we already have equipment. He's going to teach us how to use it. He's going to teach our coaches and players how to use it. He goes, this is impressive. Should I meet this gentleman? Oh, you need to meet him. So unbeknownst to me, Keith had brought his son to me years earlier and to hear him say it, you only had this one dinky little sled. (laughs) And it's true. I had this one dinky little sled. And so I go in and I do a presentation for them, for the CEO, the COO of, of, of L84 Foundation, and a gentleman by the name of Mr. Uh, Wayne Wilson, who is the uh, vice president of education for L84 Foundation. So I give them a presentation along with Jalal and my business partner, uh, Oscar Elbers, they call him Dr. Death from UCLA, UCLA's first All-American Strong Safety, who started the line of, of All-American Safeties at UCLA. Um, so after the meeting, I'm, I'm sitting there, me and Oscar are talking to Jalal Hazard about his dad coming to visit us and telling us about getting our degrees because if we don't get our degree, we won't be able to do what we want to do later in life because he wanted to coach the Bruin basketball team. In fact, he was going to go back to school. So while we're having this conversation about his dad, Mr. Wilson and the CEO who had left, Mr. Wilson comes back in the room and his eyes are like, Christmas morning when we see that brand new BB gun or that brand new bike under the tree, like when we were kids, just how he goes, you know what? Yes, Mr. Wilson. He says, all the medical disciplines say if you take the crown out of the tackle, you'll eliminate all these injuries. And I started laughing. I go, yeah, Mr. Wilson, that's what this last 45 minutes was about. <laughs> right? I just kind of laugh. <laughs> and so they hire me. They end up hiring me to, uh, to train 200 of their grantee coaches, the programs that were getting funding from them, okay? And come to find out now, I know that LA84 Foundation has the largest sports medical library in the Western Hemisphere. So when Mr. Wilson went in there and looked it up, he looked at everything that anybody who had an opinion on this subject in the medical field, period, right? And that's why he came back with his eyes. It was so huge. So that's 2010. 2011, okay. they, they called me back. Bobby, I want to do it again, what you did last year. We want to do it again. It was such a success. I said, okay, fine, when you want to do it. But, uh, yeah, but first we want to do uh, a scientific research study on your system to see if it does what you say it does. I said, whoa, whoa, what do I say it does? You say it prevents concussions. I said, oh, yeah, it does that. <laughs> well, what do you want to do with the scientists? He said, well, well anyway, uh, Tim, they, they bought a – in that time, Rydell had a helmet, the very first model to come out with sensors in it. It was $1,000. So they bought this $1,000 helmet. <coughs> yep. Scientists came to my camp, 
and they were setting up the tent, and they, they had all these things to measure acceleration of the brain, the head, the, where the impact is, the size of the hit. All this stuff was going to be be uh, analyzed, and, and the computer was going to pick it up because they had all these sensors and stuff. Um, I had not spoken to because I broke camp the following Saturday. I mean, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the previous Saturday. I had I had somebody about hey, I need some, I need a volunteer to do this test because. And then they, because they, because the uh, scientists called me on a Wednesday and said, yeah, you know what, Bobby, instead of coming down to us, we're going to come to you because you have all your equipment there. You have all the kids. So we'll see you on Saturday. Click. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know who's going to do this. So lo and behold, after my first session was 8 o'clock to, uh, to 10, no, 8 to 11. I was doing three-hour sessions then. I look over there, and there's a scientist setting up. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't have a kid. And up walks this 15-year-old kid who'd been to one of my sessions the previous Saturday, right? And I asked his dad, I said, can you, will you sign a release for your son to do this for me? I have signed. He's, oh, yes, please, go ahead. He's from Africa. He's African. He's, oh, yes, 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 whatever, whatever, right? And, Tim, this is how I know it's divine intervention. The helmet fit the kid like we took him down to Sports Chalet to buy him a helmet, and they fit him before he left or Cal Pro, right? It was yep. his helmet. It was meant. And then, so the kid, he does the traditional wrap him up technique. I'm like, oh, man, you all right? Because his head was hitting his head. And he goes, yeah, I can do it again. I said, well, uh, okay, well, okay, one more time. And he does it again. And then he does the different rip. Boom, boom. And at the end of it, the scientists leave, and they, they send me the data, and it shows a 43% reduction in the helmet first impact, dipping and ripping versus the traditional wrap em up technique. And that was 100% of the crown. And the only thing that touched was the face mask brushing incidental contact on the way up because your head is going up and away from the ball carrier when you dip and rip. So you'll never impact <coughs> an right. injurious impact. You can't lacerate their kidneys. You can't bruise their lung. You can't break their ribs. You can't hurt your neck. And you won't get a concussion because you're not hitting with any part of the helmet. Incidental contact, face mask is nothing. And all the rest of them, all the impact were to the crown of the helmet. So that made the Hosea method, my dipping rip sticks, my helmet-free tackle, all the different names I've kind of called it over the years, the, uh, the first and only to this very day evidence-based concussion preventive tackling technique in the world. And that started because of LA84 Foundation's vision of wanting to make sports safer for youth. And that's what the Olympics is all about. It's about youth, young people, and being healthy through sports. And the study proved it out, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. the study, yeah, it's, it's online now. If you go online, type in LA84 uh, football tackle, no, football head impact uh, analysis. Yeah, football tackle head impact analysis, LA84. You just type that in in the Google. Boom, it'll pop up. You'll see a, a, a PDF. Click it, and then you'll see all what they said they did, and you'll see I read the measurements. It. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. let me ask you this: what What is your opinion? Uh, you know, a lot of the states. I know California. And, and you're coaching also, uh, that's the thing we failed to, to say right now, you're also coaching high school ball. 
um, and you have to live by this rule, is that the California, as well as other states, have decided to limit, limit tackling during practice. Uh, and then also we saw just recently the Ivy League decided that, uh, am I wrong, that they're not going to even tackle at all during practice? No, you're what right. do you say that's, about that? It's misguided. It's very misguided. Um, reckless behavior is reckless 100% of the time, whether you lessen it 50%, 30%, 80%. Whenever you're doing reckless behavior, you're doing reckless behavior. And it only takes one time to be injured for the rest of your life. You don't get injured paralyzed five times, once. So whether you're doing it 100 times or 25 times, whether you're spending two hours of tackling a week or 90 minutes or, or 50 minutes a week or, or 45 minutes a week, if you don't recognize what is dangerous about the particular activity, which is football, in football tackling is the most dangerous aspect of the sport, what are the elements that need to be eliminated and replaced? Not just a simple a reduction of physical activity or full contact, but what are the things in the contact that are making, get, causing these injuries? Okay, well, so that's misguided. What, in, in a few words, because we're, we're running long, then yeah. is it possible, you, you mentioned helmet-free tackle, so I'll use those words. Uh, a lot of people use those words. What is a helmet-free tackle, and is it possible to have a safe tackle? Of course. Uh, that's what it means. Helmet-free means you're not going to initiate contact with your helmet, nor are you going to expose your helmet to contact while you're making a tackle. It doesn't mean you're not practicing with a helmet on. It's ridiculous. You've got to play the game with a helmet on. It's, you're not using it to hit, you're not, and you're not exposing it to hit. For example, uh, I created Heads Up for USA Football. Okay, uh, they compromised uh, because five to twelve-year-olds are the largest demographic to buy football equipment. So they said, put the head to the side because the five-year-olds and seven and nine-year-olds were not able to use my technique because they don't have the strength in their legs, core, and shoulders to do it properly. So they need to wait. They need to develop. They need to play another sport before they get on a football field and put on shoulder pads and helmets. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to sell equipment to make money. So they didn't really care about the safety aspect of it. They wanted to make it convenient so they can continue making money. So I had to step away from USA Football and all other uh, organizations that profess this, this type of technique. You want to dip and rip. And if you can't dip and rip, you ain't ready to play. You don't belong on the field. So, yes, what it is is your hips control the direction of your head. Your arms control the direction of your hips. So when you use terms like wrap them up, you and you, I call it hug your mama tackle. When your knuckles and elbows are on the same level and you put your arms around a person, your hips are going to go back, your head's going to go down, and you're going to impact with your head. When you use one shoulder to go to one side or the other and you get your hips and head on the same level, see, it's only an assumption to think that you're putting your head to the side is safe. It's not. Because you have teammates, you have blockers, bodies all over the place, okay? And you put your head to the side, you will be hit in the side of your head or the top of your head by a teammate or a blocker. So why teach it? It's Russian roulette. So when you do that, 
if you get up, there just wasn't one in the chamber. You were still playing Russian roulette. So why teach it? It's dangerous. Angle tackle, head across the front, or what USA Football says, head to the far number as if that changes things. You're putting your head across a person's body. Your, your eyes are going to go down. Your crown is going to be exposed. You can be hit in the temple by the ball carrier, and you can definitely be hit in the top of the head by your teammate. Friendly fire. So I know the, I know one of the things, because I've been through the uh, last year as the president of our youth league, I, I went through the, uh, the safe tackling that USA football does, um, partly out of uh, curiosity. And within that group, there is a, uh, an equivalence that some people are trying to put on uh, heads up by USA Football as uh, to to the Bobby Hosea method, and and I told them there's there's huge differences. Um, oh no! Now, yeah, it's a basketball. Oh, and and of course, uh, we I think I was a made a safe tackling coach by them after a whole I think maybe 15 or 20 minutes out on the field, actually practicing it, which I thought was was crazy. Um, so my, my point here is, is that, uh, and what I want to bring this to with you is, I mean, you've met a lot of resistance, uh, you know, the, the USA football thing, um, uh, you know, the traditionalists, et cetera. Uh, and, and I, I, I think a lot of it is a, uh, desire for you know money for for an easier path to a sale which hey i'm a capitalist i get but as i like to remind people that doesn't mean we got to buy what everybody's selling there's all kinds of contraptions out there we've talked about this offline before uh that guys are selling that are just absolute trash when it comes to protecting the the brain so is it fixable is this is is this I, first of all is this the number one problem in football a and b is it fixable? The number one problem in football is ignorance, arrogance, greed, and false pride. Mm-hmm. Those are the number one problems. That's why the sport is dying along with our children. Um, USA football came about. Carl Peterson was a wide receiver coach at UCLA in 1976 when I was a red shirt, a JC transfer. So he knows who I am. He called me in 2009 and he said, Bobby, I am now the CEO of USA football and I got a problem. So what is it? We're just tackling. He said, these guys that are here are hired from the Olympic committee. They can run a sports organization, but they don't know a damn thing about football. Can you look at the tackling for me? I said, okay, Carl, just send it to me. So I look at it. It's got head across the front. It's got bite the ball, eyes through the thighs, wrap them up. Everything that I know that causes you to get killed in tackle football. Right. So I tear it up, and I throw it in the trash. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I know I'm going to have millions of men listening to my words. Give me the words to tell them because millions of little boys are going to be listening to them. And I know coaches are lazy, so they're not going to do my 12-point 12-step tackle progression to the T. They're not going to do it. They're lazy because I know too many coaches that they're lazy. They're waiting for all Americans to show up their practice, but they're not going to teach them nothing. They just want the best players, but they're not going to teach them anything. So I gave USA football six of my steps. They chose five. 
And in the process, they flew me out to Baltimore at the Ravens indoor facility. I spent 20 minutes with these kids before I go on camera with them. And these guys are soft as baby food, and they're not used to being told what to do. And if it's difficult, they don't really try hard. These little rich little kids, I guess, richy rich kids. And it's just, yeah. just the way it is. And so maybe about four takes, kids did it right, and the rest of them did it horrible. And so for some reason, I didn't get a phone call from USA Football for six months. And then they called me and said, Bobby, we're having problems. I said, what other problems? He said, well, they're telling us to put the head to the side. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't put the head to the side. Why? He says, well, all the kids are hitting with their face mask in the chest. I go, well, show me what you got. So they, they led me to a video where on YouTube they put up for me this view. I go, dude, <clears throat> they're not doing anything that I – look, I'm demonstrating in front of the camera what to do. Are they doing what I'm emulating? Why did you guys wait so long to tell me this? I could have flown back out there and fixed it. And then so they were persisting to, to do that. And so I wrote – I went above their head, and I went directly to the NFL, and I said, do not – Allow them to teach head to the side, head across the body. Kids are going to die. I said, listen, I've never had a player since 1997 suffer so much as a headache doing it my way. You guys have 4,000 of your former players suing you for brain injury-related issues. Please do not do this. I said, either go back to what I originally gave you, the original heads up, or cease and desist using my name, my likeness, and my terminology. Well, they chose to just ostracize me, and I learned that you can use up to 15% of someone's intellectual property, and you're not infringing. So that's why you see part of my terminology still. I think dip, rip, I don't know. But they took out a lot of it and added the old stuff, and in fact, they're mixing it in with the hawk tackle, which is the most dangerous tackle in the world. It's killing kids. Like I said, I don't have any dead kids from doing it my way. I don't have any paralyzed kids from doing the Hosea method. I don't have any kids with concussions doing it with the Hosea method. I don't have kids with headaches doing it with the They have kids that are dead. They have kids that are paralyzed. Since 2013, 23 high school football players have died of traumatic brain injuries. Nine players died last year from, in 2015. The NFL has 58% increase in, concuss- in concussions in 2015 over 2014. They are not doing it right. Like Einstein said, no problem can be solved by the very same level of consciousness that created it. And USA football proved it, and so is the NFL proving it now. So a lot of it has to do with lawyers. I, I, I would always, up to five years ago, I would always contact a school or youth league or a college when a kid would get paralyzed or die on the field. In fact, Riverside Poly, just this past season, Josh Nava had his brain basically explode on on the field doing the hawk tackle, and he had to have brain surgery. I reached out to their athletic director, but nothing. They don't ever call me back. And in Indio, I think maybe five years ago, six years ago now, a young, young man died. And so I reached out to that program. A guy called me. He says, Coach Bobby, I want to commend you for what you're doing, but I can't tell you my name. But our lawyers say if we hire you for your services, we'll be admitting guilt for the young man's death. So we can't do anything. So 
I was at a loss for words. I didn't know what to say to him in response. Yeah. So no in other kid. words, we're just gonna we're gonna keep our head in the sand. We're gonna cross our fingers and hope nothing happens again. And that's why. Well, and, and 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 this is, if if I may, this is really why I'm 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 really big on 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 getting your your message out there and and other guys' messages about safety and and being responsible as coaches i like to say we're stewards of the game if we if you're not a steward then you're the opposite <laughs> you know you're 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 hurting the game because well if if we don't if we don't take this on ourselves and be responsible then you just said what happens the lawyers get involved and once the lawyers get involved, it gets it starts getting overregulated, and it ruins the sanctity of the game. The good stuff in the game starts getting sucked out because you can't actually practice, as as we demonstrated earlier. It it, it is an absolute ridiculous, uh, blasphemous uh, on the game that the Ivy League would not allow tackling at practice. I mean, that's just and, and there's nobody's there's no outcry. You don't hear anybody bitching, and and to that's, me that's that's insane. Yeah, but, supposedly institutions of higher learning, anything but. But it's not really the institution; it's the coaches, it's the NCAA, and they're just really uh, absolving themselves of any accountability and putting it all on the players. If you don't coach at nothing, and they get hurt, you think you're absolved from the injuries they're going to get? You can't be. Right. You have a, right. You're you, it, you, it, you're, you, you're you're attached. Whether right. you like it or not, brother, you're attached. So, and that's what I've been saying since this thing all started. Is you know we know how the story's going to end up going. Is is the lawyers are going to get involved because the 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 morons, if I may be so mean to say that about uh, our fellow coaches. If if you're not if you're not a steward you're a moron because you're not being serious about this game. You're acting selfishly uh, uh, for your own purposes as opposed to the kids. Here's what I want them to really – you said the right word, selfish. I want every coach in tackle football to be selfish and only think about their future, their family, their children, their house, their job, Anything that has value, because here's the deal. All you got to do is go to the news. National Pop Warner was sued for the the injury that paralyzed Donovan Hill from our own backyard, Lakewood, in 2011. They had to settle out of court. Pop National Pop Warner just got sued for a 25-year-old young man who committed suicide because he only played four <laughs> years of Pop Warner didn't play high school, didn't play college, and CTE was found in his brain. National Pop Warner had to settle out of court with his family for over $2 million. So, coaches, if you think that the courts don't know what injurious instruction when it comes to tackling is, and you are mistaken, if you're teaching head across the front, bite the ball, hawk tackle, eyes through the thighs, and your young man does not get up off the ground, you're going to lose everything you consider valuable, including your wife, because she's not going to stay with you 
when you have nothing and all the, the, the college funds and everything else for her children are gone because you refuse to get better at what you're doing. So let, just be warned or get out of the game. That's what I'm going to tell everybody. There's only one safe tackling technique. When we say safe, it's not understand me. I'm a competitor. I want to win. I want to whip your team's butt. I want you guys going off the field with a L and we have a W. But you might outcoach me and you might be smarter, but your team is not going to outhit my team because we're going to tackle for real. And we're going to tackle in a way that won't injure you and won't injure us. That's what you need. All coaches need to be on the same page because you just said the word, stewards of the game. To heck with the game. The game is, doesn't really mean that much if you're not stewards of these children, caretakers through this time and period of their life that you're looking out for their well-being so they can be contributors to society. Who cares about your winning record? Nobody. It's about protecting the children. And so that's what you're the steward of, being a blessing to these young men because you're going to be, you are a role model in how to be dignified, how to win, how to lose properly, how to work hard, and you're going to do it the right way for the right reasons. If you're about anything as a coach, number one is the well-being of your children, your job, three things that a coach is only supposed to do, protect their life, maintain their well-being, and enhance their football experience, and that's it, nothing more. And once you think about that and put the child's well-being first and the player's well-being first, because I hear a coach tell me all the time, Coach, if someone came out to your field to harm one of your little boys, what would have to happen first? They got to go through me. You mean to the point of you stop breathing? You better believe it. So you give your life for that child? Oh, yes. So would you do anything unknowingly or knowingly to bring harm to that child? I never would. You teach bite the ball? Oh, you better believe it. I need to get a fumble. Mm -hmm. You teach head across the front? Oh, yeah, we got to cut them off. Okay. You teach wrap them up? You're doggone right. Okay, well, that's paralysis, traumatic brain injury, and death. Did you know that, Coach? No. You know why you don't know it? Because you're not required to know it. There's no, and so it's the administrators. It's at the highest level of the game because everything trickles down. The NFL, so they get a cookie because their guy says, you know, football and CTE are related just now. So what are they, what's this big announcement? All of a sudden, the NFL is acknowledging. They just uninvented CTE last year, 2015, April. No football player moving forward, current football player moving forward from April 2015 can claim CTE. <laughs> well, yet and still, their concussions were up 58%. So, they're getting the same damage as guys I, it, prior. I, I saw a guy. I, I saw a guy in the Super Bowl. I know darn well he had a concussion. He was he was seeing nothing. He he didn't even know where he was. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but man, he got his bell rung, and uh, it and you see it every single week. So it comes down to five questions. Okay, I ask coaches these five questions. I know we have we got short on time. First of all, what do you teach on an angle tackle, coach? Or what do you teach on a form tackle, coach? Okay, whatever their answer is, then I say, first question, well, what is the point of that instruction? 
What is the objective of that instruction? Whatever the answer may be, okay. What is the risk of that instruction? What is the consequence of that risk? What is the result of that consequence? What is the alternative to that original instruction? These are things USA football does not require of you. They don't tell you what's wrong, what causes injury, and what can prevent it. They don't care about that. It's all phony. It's fake. No, Industries do not fix their problem. They spend time and money denying that it even exists. And, but now the medical community has caught up. So their junk science and their manufacturing doubt no longer works. So now what are you going to do about it? So what's going to happen when all these little boys that are getting paralyzed, brain damaged from following USA football? Because that's why, you, that's why Pop Warner got sued. They're following USA football. They're teaching injurious tackling instructions. Ask you this, where is their science that heads-up tackle is safe? They don't have none. They bastardized my system, which has the only uh, evidence of safety in it, period, in the world. Heads-up tackle does not because it's bastardized, meaning they've infiltrated it with other elements that are dangerous that I identified, eliminated, and replaced in 1997. Well, Bob, I, I want to say thank you very much for giving quite an educational uh, talk. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I'd like to point to. I've pointed to, to your site, um, and your, uh, your YouTube channel is just full of instruction. Um, would you like to give those out? I'll, I'll have links for them in, uh, when I put the podcast out, but would you like to give out your, uh, your links? Right, I have two websites right now that um, it's funny. I, somebody came up with trainingupacademy.com and pointed it toward an Arabic-speaking site, and Network Solutions shut mine down. I don't, but it's back <laughs> up now. So it's trainingupacademy.org and GT Science George Thomas Science.com which is short for Gridiron Technologies and Science. Uh, and that, those, those both have your links to your Facebook and your, uh, right. your uh, right. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I, I highly yeah. suggest going there. The YouTubes are uh, great. I, I, although I've been to several of Bobby's uh, clinics uh, and participated, I had to um, in one of them, uh, I still – would go when I was coaching I'd go to the YouTubes to refresh on the terminology and and some of the uh, the techniques uh, Bob I, I want to thank you for your time and uh, we'll get these out we'll probably cut this up into a couple uh, parts and uh, with yes. that I'm going to stop the recording hold on one second I want to say one thing please uh, there's, a, there's a there's a new um, platform called coach tube coachtube.com uh, where I were out because you, if you go to uh, all the YouTube stuff it's not really instruction it's really kind of more like you just see it and but you don't get the ingredients to put it all together well yeah. coach tube 
I've been selected to teach tackling on CoachTube, so you can be able to buy my my entire series. I'm going to start by by the end of maybe middle of next month. It should be completed. It's been taking me over a year to do this, to edit all these videos and all these things. I just, you know, uh, and, and doing it yourself is really tough. But I've got the equipment now, doing it right, right, and you're going to get, it, gonna directly get it directly from me. From me. So you'll be able to teach it with everything, and you'll get all the answers in, to, to your questions on how to do this the proper way. So CoachTube.com, so just put that on there as well. That's coming soon. Awesome, awesome. With that, I'm going to uh, end the podcast.